got a question for you. Um, when talking about history, do you think there's a grand design behind world events? Rockville Radio 7.77 is on the web. Each podcast we bring you interviews and music with a goal of lifting up the name above all names, Jesus, the rock of our salvation. Straight from the Rockville Radio 7.77 studio here in Southern California. I mean... Are things happenstance, or is there a grand designer, someone orchestrating historical events? And if it's true, how can we know it's true, and and why would it be true? Is history repeating itself? And should it really be, is his story repeating itself? Well, let's look at the first example. We have, I actually have a total of three separate examples, but we're just going to look at one of those examples. And one of those examples involves the nation, the country, the United Kingdom, Britain, and two specific events. The first one taking place in 1588, and the second one happening in 1940, and the similarities and the differences between these two events. But there are more similarities. I want to propose to you that there are more similarities between the two events than there are differences. So we're going to take a look at that. Now let's start with the first event that happened in 1588. I'm speaking about talking to you about the Spanish Armada and the first attempt, not the first attempt, but the attempt by Spain to invade England. At the time, Spain, during the 1500s, was a Catholic nation and Britain was Protestant. Now, if you look at the map of the world at that time in the 1500s, you would see that the Spanish were building a huge empire in the New World after Columbus, who had been sanctioned by Spain, discovered America in 1492. So by the 1500s, Cortes had conquered the Aztecs between 1519 and 1522. Pizarro had conquered the Incas down in South America in 1533. And Francisco Coronado, there's a famous name right there, uh, was exploring the American Southwest in 1540. And we know that name Coronado because down in San Diego, you have a couple of famous landmarks, the Coronado Bridge the Coronado Hotel. The ruler of Spain in 1588 was Philip II. 
And he had been allied with uh, uh, an ally of Queen Mary I of England. But Queen Mary, by the time 15, the late 1500s rolled around, was no longer the queen. It was her sister, Elizabeth, who had become queen. And Elizabeth had become queen around the year 1558. So after she became queen, Philip II wanted to invade Britain because Elizabeth I was a Protestant and Mary had been a Catholic. And as I mentioned earlier, Philip was a very staunch uh, member of the Roman Catholic Church. He decided to use the Spanish Navy to restore Catholicism, specifically he built his navy into what he called the Invincible Armada. So after Elizabeth was crowned, the hostility began to reach a peak between Spain and England. So in 1588, Philip and Spain had amassed a a very large armada of 130 ships with 2,400 guns, 8,000 sailors, and a number of soldiers who were going to be ferried across the English Channel uh, into England so that Spain could invade England and Philip could invade England and seize the throne and restore Catholicism. The combined total of soldiers, sailors, and officers was 30,000 strong. This was a huge numerical advantage over England. The British, on the other hand, they had anywhere from 105 to 197 ships, depending on the estimate that you consider. But man for man, they were seriously outnumbered. Now, they were familiar with the channel, of course, and they, had, they were experienced sailors. But nevertheless, they were outnumbered. British Navy fell under the command of Lord Howard of Effingham and Sir Francis Drake. There's a familiar name that people will know as an explorer. Howard was loyal to the queen, but he was not a daring, risk-taking sailor, um, man of the sea, like Francis Drake was. As the summer of 1588 approached, the site, the scene of the battle would be the English Channel and the Spanish Armada would approach from the southwest. With the 130 ships and the 30,000 military personnel, combined total of 30,000 military personnel. 
The Spanish were using what was called the crescent formation, and you can see it in the slide. Over to the right side, you see a very large crescent formation of ships. The English decided to use what was called the line formation. The ships were lined up bow to stern in straight columns. But the Spanish were going to use the strategy of getting close enough to board and conquer the English. And in order to do that, the English would have to play into the hands of the Spanish Navy, the Armada, and they didn't. The English pretty much kept their distance behind the crescent and fired away. Spain's admiral, Medina Sidonia, had a flagship named the San Martin. And the San Martin was going to be used to uh, lead the way as they tried to invade. The Spanish were going to try to invade Portsmouth, but they were turned away by Francis Drake. And there is a slide in the presentation of the San Martin and typical of what the Spanish ships, the galleons, looked at at that time. But Drake was able to confront Medina Sidonia and his ship, the San Martin, and forced them away from Portsmouth and away from their opportunity to invade England. And the Spanish Armada had to make their way to the coast of France. They fled, they fled across the channel to Calais on the French coast, and at nighttime, as they were anchored there, Howard of Effingham decided to take eight of the English ships, and he decided to set them on fire and to float them into the middle of the Spanish Armada, hoping that they would... Uh, set fire to the entire 130-ship armada. But the Spanish uh, awoke, cut their anchors, and uh, went out into the channel. This brought about the final battle, which was known as the Graveline. And this final battle between the armada, the Spanish armada, and the English navy lasted about nine hours, during uh, which time the Englishmen got close enough to fire several damaging broadsides. This caused the Spanish to limp away into the channel to the north and into bad weather and into wind, losing, losing many ships and having to go around the uh, north side, the coast, and then the north of Britain all the way over to Ireland very damaging to the Spanish to the invincible Spanish Armada this all resulted in Spain losing about half of their ships not being able to invade England and Queen Elizabeth retaining her throne and her power ultimately this 
resulted in the Protestant Church remaining the main faith of England. And eventually, since this took place in the year 1588, by 1607, Britain was able to begin to expand their empire to America and to set up the first colonies, the first one being Virginia. And eventually, it became 13 colonies and then the United States, which, have, which of course, confronted England in the Revolutionary War um, and became um, the United States of America as it is today. But all of this, uh, the defeat of the Spanish Armada, as, as we can see right here, a quote from John Fisk, a historian, the defeat of the Invincible Armada was the opening event in the history of the United States. It was the event that made all the rest possible. And so when you look back on that, um, it is quite, it's quite interesting that our country really didn't begin, the roots of the country really didn't begin with Jamestown in 1607, but it really started in the English Channel with the defeat of the Spanish Armada and the Spanish Empire, halting, halting the growth of the Spanish Empire in uh, the Americas and allowing the British the opportunity to get a foothold and establish their colonies, which eventually became our country. We have a, we have a quote here by King Philip II of Spain. Even he recognized that um, there was divine intervention. He said, I sent my ships to fight against men and not against the winds and the waves of God. That's what Philip II of Spain said. And here's a passage from the book of Matthew in the New Testament where uh, the apostles had been crossing the lake in a storm and uh, the Lord Jesus came and stilled that storm. And it says right here, the passage says, You have little faith. Why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. Verse 27 of Luke 8 says, Then uh, the men were amazed and asked, What kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. King Philip's invincible armada sailed for the glory of Spain. Into the channel they went in 1588. On the other side of Lord Howard and the English way Elizabeth stands behind them God's in control of their fate Skirmish after skirmish They make their way to the coast of France 
how it sets fire to some English boats and the battle changes hands into the wind the Spanish sail they find themselves in disarray the English are right behind them they chase them is the look at the first event of the pair of events of history repeating itself. So now we're going to look at the second event, and we're going to compare this second event with the first one to see if history repeated itself, not, not an identical um, instance, but some similarities. Let's look at some similarities, and again... Ask that question. Is there is there a grand designer? Is there a grand design? And um, we do know that history does repeat itself, but in this particular pair of event a pair of events, does uh, his story repeat itself? All right. The second event we're looking at now is Britain again. It's a, Brit, it's a historical British event, historical event that took place in Britain in the year 1940. Now, to review a little bit, the, 19, the late 1930s in Europe saw the rise of fascism and eventually the Countries of uh, Germany, Italy, and then, of course, in Asia, Japan, uh, began to move with their plan to, of world domination. 1939, Hitler had already seized power in Germany in 1933, and in 1939, the war broke out. The Germans had been developing their own armada, which was an air force. So it wasn't a naval armada that they had developed, but it was an air armada. 
They had already used it on the Spanish, innocent Spanish civilians in the Spanish Civil War in 1937, 1936, 1937. And so they were primed and ready to use it again once the war broke out in September of 1939. Their first victims were the Polish civilians, and, uh, and then from there they rolled over Western Europe. By 1940, we can take a look here, we have a map of Europe in 1940. They were controlling Central Europe and North Africa. They had already by 1940, they had already uh, conquered France, the Lowlands, Netherlands, Belgium, Luxembourg. Uh, as we mentioned, they were already allied with Italy. They had already, in the, in the late 30s, had already annexed uh, Austria and Czechoslovakia. And then they divided Poland with Stalin's Russia in 1939. And the Scandinavian countries as well were already being dominated by them. So they, uh, they were looking across the channel. Hitler was looking across the channel at his next conquest. And he was wanting to invade England. It may not have been for religious reasons, as it was in the case of Philip II. It was more political this time in 1940. But Britain was, at that time, standing alone after Dunkirk. Dunkirk was, had already taken place in the earlier part of 1940 uh, when the about 300,000 soldiers had British, of the British Army had been uh, cooped up in Dunkirk on the coast of France, and they were rescued by civilians, British civilians who went across the channel to ferry them back and forth. But the United States was neutral. The Soviet Union was in Germany's court, and Hitler was determined to bring Britain to its knees. Britain had the empire that the sun never set on. They had, uh, around the world, the map of 1938 shows Canada. It shows countries in South uh, in Africa. Now, the, the British leaders, as we mentioned, the Germans had Hitler and Goering, and the British had King George VI, and um, he, was the, he was the monarch at that time. Instead of a Lord Howard of Effingham, they had the uh, Air Chief Marshal Sir Hugh Dowding, who was playing that role this time around. And he was the uh, architect of the defense of uh, Britain, and he would be the leader during what eventually became known in history as the Battle of Britain. Of course, the Prime Minister the very, very famous stalwart Winston Churchill. And uh, the quote here by Winston Churchill is, his quote is, success consists of going from failure to failure without loss of enthusiasm. And that would 
definitely be true for Churchill and the British. Dowding, who was the Air Chief Marshal, the head of the RAF, the Royal Air Force, his nickname was Stuffy, and he knew the job that the RAF had would be to stop the German invasion of Britain at all costs. And many of his pilots, though, were, were very green. They were a bunch of rookies, and they barely had any uh, combat time. The battle, again, this time would involve the English Channel, but this time it would take place above the English Channel, as the Germans would be attacking from their bases across the Channel in the, the, country, that, the country they conquered, France, the coast they had about, uh, according to the map, they had about three or four main air bases on the coast of France. And of course, facing the channel, which is only about uh, 26 or so miles across. And so between, uh, the, the battle would be taking place between the months of June 30th and September the 17th, 1940. Uh, although it didn't, the the war, of course, lasted longer than that. The World War II all, went all the way to 1945. The, um, the peak of this battle, the Battle of Britain, would happen between those months in the summer, just like uh, the um, Spanish Armada battle took place in the summer. This also would take place in the summer. This also would take place uh, right there where the English Channel was. The Germans would attack from the bases, as I mentioned already, and their first targets were going to be the convoys, the Allied, Allied convoys, the radar stations, the coastal air bases, and the factories. Now, the Germans had this um, idea that if they uh, could gain air supremacy, then that would be the prelude to their invasion and they would be able to cross the channel without being harassed by the RAF or the British. So the British, of course, had this uh, system using the radar, uh, which was the technology that had only been developed at, the, at that time. It had been a recent development. What they did was they divided their country into four sections for reporting and response. The radar would be the first line of defense that would show them when the Germans were crossing the channel, and then they would be they would use coastal spotters to detect as well. They would to detect which direction the invasion the um, attack was coming from in the air, and at that point they would decide which section of the four sections would be scrambled to. Um, meet the enemy in the air and meet the Germans in the air. And uh, that would allow them to cover extremely large areas with their very small air force. By August the 13th, 1940, the Germans launched an all-out attack. Even though the, they had begun their attack in June, they decided that they would uh, launch an all-out attack on August the 13th, 1940, and that they would destroy completely the main line of defense the British had, which was the RAF. By September, 
the Germans began to be frustrated with um, the British, and they began to change their focus from bombing the airfields to bombing London and going after the civilians. There's a famous movie called The Battle of Britain with Sir Laurence Olivier and uh, Michael Caine, some other famous British actors of the time. Film That film was made somewhere around 1969, 1970. It, it really captures uh, a lot of that time period very well in the film where they do show a lot of the air battles. And then down below they're showing the civilians having to uh, go underground into the subways. So by September, uh, as we see, we have some pictures of uh, St. Paul's Cathedral, the Tower Bridge of London, and um, even years later, uh, during a tour in the 1970s, I took a tour of London there was still uh, bomb damage evident in a number of the old buildings that were there downtown. I think one of them might have been the um, Imperial War Museum, and you could see huge chips that had been uh, taken out of the front of the buildings. And I remember asking the tour guide what had caused the granite. I, I'm not sure it was granite, but the the face of the buildings to be damaged like that, and she mentioned that it was, that was bomb damage from the Battle of Britain in 1940. On September the 15th, this was the, the turning point of the battle. Uh, just like in the, uh, Span in the battle with the Spanish Armada, if we remember that the nine-hour battle called the Gravelines was uh, that turning point right after the Spanish Armada was trying to get away from the fire ships. They um, had that final engagement with the, with the British Navy, and at that point, the um, Spain had to limp away into the wind and in and and around the uh, Great Brit the British Isles. There, well, the same thing on September the fifteenth. That high point, the turning point of the battle. This was known as the Battle of Britain Day. And this was this on this particular day, there were tremendous losses by the uh, Luftwaffe, the German Air Force. Um, by September the 17th, only two days later, Hitler decided to abandon his plans to invade Britain, much the same way Philip II had to abandon his plans in 1588. By the end of the war, the total losses for the Luftwaffe were 1,733, roughly half of the German air armada was destroyed in the war, exactly like the Spanish armada. They had lost half of their ships. Uh, the RAF, during the period of the Battle of Britain, lost 915 planes altogether. And the results of this were that the Germans were, uh, their attempt failed to invade Britain, just as the Spanish had failed. Uh, their Luftwaffe, their armada, was severely defeated, just as the Spanish armada was. And the British demonstrated the tenacity in the face of tremendous and impossible odds, just as they had done against the Spanish armada. This allowed for the 
D-Day invasion to take place because the Allies would now have a foothold in Europe. Even though Hitler had conquered the mainland, the Allies would still have Britain as their launching point for the D-Day invasion, June the, four, June the 6th, 1944, uh, from southern England across the Channel. And of course, uh, in my family, we have uh, my uncle who is still alive. He's 97. He's Henry Ortiz. And he landed there, not on D-Day, but shortly after D-Day, he made the trip from Britain across the Channel with the United States Army in World War II as they were invading uh, Hitler's Europe in 1944. Winston Churchill, the final words come from him. He said on October the 29th, 1941, never give in, never give in, never, 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 in nothing great or small, large or petty, never give in except to convictions of honor. And so, if you were to stack up the two events, you could use what's called a Venn diagram. And the Venn diagram short is a way of showing you the similarities and the differences of two, of two events, which are uh, like we just gave, gave you there. The, 19, the 1588 invasion of by attempted invasion by Spain and the Spanish Armada and the Battle of Britain. I've written in the book that I wrote, I've uh, put that chart in there, not the Venn diagram, but a comparison chart which does show you the two events. You have the, on the left side, you have the Spanish Armada in 1588. On the right side, you have the Battle of Britain in 1940. And then you have a, a column under each. Underneath the Spanish Armada, that event in 1588, you find that their attacking force was, the Spanish Armada was made up of 130 ships, while the British only had about 105 to 197, depending on whose estimate. They could have had less, they could have had more. A lot of people, no one really agrees on how many they really had. Uh, the location, of course, was the English Channel, and the objective was for Spain to invade and, and, uh, and eventually uh, achieve the conquest of Britain. And, of course, the date was the summer, at the time of the year was the summer, which was 1588. On the other hand, in 1940, you had uh, the German Luftwaffe, which had 2,500 aircraft, the British only 900. Uh, the battle taking place over the Channel, the objective being the invasion and conquest of Britain by Hitler's Germany, and the dates being primarily being during the summer of 1940. And uh, in conclusion, you have the, in 1588, you had Queen Elizabeth I, who was ruling Britain with. Uh, King Philip II of Spain opposing her. And in World War II, 1940, you had King George VI, and uh, Hitler was the one who was opposing. Half of the Armada was destroyed, and about half of the Luftwaffe was, was, was destroyed, with the key hero, the key hero being in each situation, 
um, with the defeat of the Armada, it was the British Admiral Lord Howard of Effingham, and in World War II, it was the Air Chief Marshal Hugh Dowding who uh, oversaw the, um, the Battle of Britain. And so, does, has God kept his hand on all events since the beginning of time? Should, his story, should history be, really be called his story? Uh, there's a quote from Proverbs, the book of Proverbs, There are many plans in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the Lord's counsel, that, counsel, that will stand. And I think uh, I'd like to throw in one more here. And it it says this. It says, um, this is from Proverbs 21.1. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Like rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes, he being the Lord. 